finish out our semester, finishing out the chapter uh, 7 of the book of Hebrews, which we'll return to again next semester as you guys return. But Hebrews 7 this morning, as you guys are turning there, I kind of thought this morning there are some of you in our midst who have absolutely already finished the semester, all right? You guys are done with your finals. You guys are done with your lectures. You guys are done with studying. And I thought about having you identify yourselves this morning, but I thought that could lead to a riot and I feared for your well-being, all right? Uh, because I think for many of y'all that are still here, you're here to make everyone else jealous, all right? Uh, we don't need that this morning, but for most of y'all, all of y'all, in about four days, praise the Lord, you're going to be done with the school semester, right? In about four days, no more classes, no more lectures, no more tests, no more textbooks. You're going to have five to six beautiful, delightful, glorious weeks without school, right? And I don't think, frankly speaking, it ever gets any better, all right? Uh, I always remember that last day, that last final, you walk out of that classroom, you walk to your car, and this sense of relief, a sense of absolute, unhindered freedom. It's amazing, right? You realize that for the next five to six weeks, you have nothing on your plate. And all of you guys, whether some of y'all are there yet or in about four days, all of y'all will be there except for the poor souls who are taking winter break classes, right? But for all of y'all, that's where you guys are going to be. I was thinking, really, there is no comparison to that feeling. There is no, uh, uh, there's no close second to that feeling of being done with this semester. But if anything, one of the things I thought about, that if there is a distant second, it's the experience of a field trip, right? Uh, if, you, if you have to be in class, the second best thing to not being in class is to be in class would be on a field trip, so to speak, right? But you don't have to be in lecture. You don't have to be under the, the rigid confines of your teacher or your professor. And I thought, really, for a lot of us, field trips really were an elementary school experience, right? Whether it was zoos or planetariums or whatever it is and wherever it is you could go and get away. I always loved, absolutely loved field trips in, in elementary school. And fortunately for me, as I kind of thought through college, though, really the experience of field trips really were limited primarily and only to elementary school, right? By the time I got to Texas A&M, I really, I think from the fall and the spring semesters, I had an absolute total of zero field trips, all right? Uh, unfortunately, in my computer engineering degree, it wasn't like some of y'all who are in geology majors or ag majors who seem to spend more time on field trips than actual classroom, all right? Uh, you guys seem to have the superior major. I don't know what it is, all right? Uh, and so for me, I never got to have a lot of field trip experiences. Some of you guys did. And, and I think that the joy and the beauty of field trips, though, the problem is as great as they are, they're always temporary. They always at some point end, and at some point you're back in the classroom, you're back in the lecture hall, you're back with textbooks and notes, right? And I think for many of us, as we think about Christmas, as we think about the arrival of the Son of God, Jesus Christ on the earth, I think for some of us, we at times think of it as a field trip. It's not that we divorce Jesus Christ from Christmas, but I think for some of us at times, we actually perceive of Jesus' arrival on earth as merely a field trip. He leaves the cushy confines of heaven. He comes on earth. He arrives in a manger. How precious and how sweet that little picture is, right? But it's just a short field trip before he goes back to the, the, the confines and the cushy confines of heaven, right? And what I want to do this morning is to kind of look afresh at what it means that Jesus Christ arrived on the scene. We know that he's going to descend, he's going to arrive on the earth, and we know that he will ascend, return back to heaven, cross post-resurrection. But the question I want to ask this morning is, what becomes of Jesus Christ after his incarnation? Even when he returns back to the heavens, what has become of him? And can we, in some regards, consider Christmas merely like a field trip? Was the first Christmas for Jesus Christ merely like a field trip that was a temporary foray onto earth and a foray into humanity, but then has nothing to do with the rest of his future and the rest of his existence? I'm going to argue it's not. And we're going to look at Hebrews 7 this morning. That I think it's going to give us a little bit of a glimpse really at what that first Christmas was for Jesus Christ. I don't know about you guys, but I've loved walking through the book of Hebrews this semester because I think no book outside of the Gospels in the New Testament is so centered around the person of Jesus Christ. 
all semester long, really every weekend. If you haven't been noticing, the message is pretty much the same. Jesus is better. (laughs) He's better than Moses. He's better than Abraham. He's better than the priests. He's better than the prophets. He's better than whatever it is you want to stack him up against. And really, as we look at uh, Christmas, as we begin to anticipate the birth and the arrival of the Son of God, really Hebrews 7 and really the whole book of Hebrews is going to talk all about really the significance of Jesus' coming who Jesus was and what he did. And really, in fact, I think our passage this morning is going to get us really centered on two big ideas that really are centered at Christmas. Look with me, if you will, Hebrews chapter 23, or sorry, chapter 7, verses 23 and on, all right? Hebrews 7, verse 23. The former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once and for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever." Really, I think our passage in Hebrews 7, and really, I think the significance of Christmas comes in two basic ideas. The first is this, is that Jesus Christ is one among us forever. Jesus Christ is one among us forever. Notice verses 23 to 25, he is one. Uh, The former priest on the one hand existed in greater numbers, but Jesus... The former priests of the Old Testament, they were incredibly numerous. They kept dying. They kept coming back. They kept replacing one another in the office of high priest. But Jesus is only one. In fact, he's not just one, but he's one among humanity. And notice he says in Hebrews 5, if you guys were with us earlier on in the semester, notice the role and the significance of the priest. Hebrews 5, every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men. To, to fill the office of the priest, one had to partake and had to have the experience and the nature of humanity. Jesus Christ, in taking that role of high priest and being a high priest better than all that would come, that had already come, he was one among humanity. In fact, we're going to find he's not just one among humanity, but he's going to be one among humanity forever. Notice back to Hebrews, notice he says that Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. It was not temporary like the Old Testament priests that came, died, and then were replaced. But he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he's able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ is one among us forever. I think the significance of, of Christmas, even as we sing about Emmanuel, is that God is with us. I think for many of us, it's a great reminder that God didn't just create us and didn't just have value for us, but he created us and then, de- and then departed, not necessarily to always be gone, but he created and, and he intervened into human history. He came for us. Even in his creation, even though we sinned, even though we fell short and have rebelled against God, Jesus Christ came and he took on human nature and he came for us. I don't know if you've ever thought, even as you're waiting for that perfect someone, that maybe one day this girl is going to come out of nowhere and up over a hill and just going to find you, all right? Or maybe it's that guy, that guy on a horse. I don't know what your picture of marriage, or I don't know why the guy's on a horse. We're in Texas, I guess. I don't know, right? Um, but you're waiting for that someone to come up over a hill and find you, right? I, I think the great question sometimes is, even as we think about marriage, is am I valuable? Is someone going to want to spend the rest of their life with me? I think the great message of Christmas is that God is with us. God came for us. He came not only up over a hill, but he died on a hill for you and I. Not only did he value us enough to come for us, but he even valued us enough to die for us. In Christmas, we see it's not just that God is with us, but he is also like us. 
The incarnation, when Jesus Christ shows up in a manger uh, in, in, a, in a stall, what we find is that Jesus is not just coming for us, but he's also like us. He takes on human nature. And I think the wonder, though, of where the rest of the story goes of Christmas is not just that he came on, he took on human nature, and then he's going to one day leave it, but we're going to find through the rest of the scriptures when Jesus Christ takes on humanity, he does not leave humanity and its nature, but he's going to forever be the eternal God-man. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, will forever be in the nature of God and the nature of man. Some of you guys, a few days ago, the last week and a half, have been to uh, Harry Potter, all right? And some of you guys, because I've seen your Facebook photos, dressed up for that movie, all right? Uh, you know who you are, and I do too, all right? Um, now, all you guys, for those of y'all who dressed up, hopefully by the time you got home, you took that costume off. If you went to class, if you went to church in your costume, it seems a little ridiculous. I think for a lot of us, sometimes when we think about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we think of it in the same kind of way. In a sense, Jesus put on a disguise, he put on a mask, he took on human nature, a form of it, but then he's going to, in a sense, surpass it and move beyond it, and he's going to leave it behind and shed it at some point in the future. But as we look through our scriptures, what we find is that Jesus Christ does not shed human nature. It's not a costume, it's not a disguise. He takes it on, and he's going to stay in that nature. He's going to forever be the eternal God and the eternal man, wedded together in those two natures. And that's why he can forever save those who draw near to him. He can forever act as our intercessor, our mediator, our one, the one who stands between us and God. He can reconcile us back to the Father because no one else can because he's unlike all the other priests that came. He is not just God with us, but he's God like us. And because he's like us, what we find is that he can identify with us. And as we've been walking through the book of Hebrews this semester, what we've seen is that he shares not just our nature, but he shares our experiences. He's been tempted in every way we have. He's actually even encountered and tasted death, not just himself, but he did it for us. And the great wonder of, of Christmas is that Jesus is with us and that he's like us and that he can identify not just to pity us, but he can identify with us so that he can represent us and actually stand in our place and receive the very wrath of God upon himself for us. The great joy of Christmas is not just a cute little baby in a manger, all right? The great and really message of Christmas is that God has intervened in the cosmic warfare that's going on. Blake talked about that even a little bit this morning. That Jesus Christ and the kingdom has come and arrived on earth. The king is present and it's a direct affront to Satan and to the kingdom of Satan. It's a direct affront to the world that God had had to come and he had to come to die in our place so that we could be reconciled and brought back into our relationship with him. And really as we look at the message of Christmas, it's not just that Jesus Christ is one among us forever. But he's also one above us forever. Notice the rest of Hebrews 7 this morning. He says, notice this. He says, for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, not just one among us, but actually one above us, who was holy, who was innocent, who was unfiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He's not among us and like us entirely. He's one among us who shares our nature so that he can represent us, but he's actually in many regards also unlike us. Therefore, he stands above us. He stands separate in some regards. The great wonder of Christmas and the great mystery of Christmas is how does God in the heavens come and dwell in human nature and walk among us and be like us and yet not entirely like us? How is God transcendent and yet imminent? How is God separate and holy and yet among us and near us? How is God both holy and yet merciful? How is God righteous and yet understanding of our temptations and our weaknesses? How in the world does that happen? At Christmas, we see that God can take on human nature and then he can come and live among us and even stand above us. And because he's among us and above us, he can stand where we cannot stand and he can do what we cannot do and he can take 
the penalty of our sins and the wrath of God for us so that we can be reconciled back to the Father. The really wonder of Christmas is that he's not like us. He's not like the mere men that he is among. In fact, he's not even like the priests that he's among. Notice verse 27, who does Jesus Christ, who does not need daily like those high priests of the Old Testament to offer sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Notice Really, in many regards in the Old Testament, the priests could identify with humanity in their weakness and in their sin because they also had that. We talked about that a little bit earlier on this semester, that Jesus, even though he's above us, even though he cannot identify with our sin, he actually is more sympathetic. Now, there's a great wonder, even if you looked at Hebrews chapter 2, that Jesus, in his holiness, is actually more sympathetic to us in our plight and in our weaknesses and our sin than those who can actually share it. And it's really it was a kind of a contradiction, a real mystery, I think, a, a misunderstanding that I had much as I walked through the book of Hebrews that really opened my eyes at looking at Jesus Christ, that even in his holiness, he's more sympathetic to me than those priests and those human leaders, those human priests that can stand and identify with me in my weakness. Jesus is more sympathetic. And he's not just sympathetic to pity us, but he's sympathetic to intervene and do something about it. And so he stands exalted above the heavens, and he's unlike the Old Testament priests who offered sacrifices day after day, year after year. Sacrifices that ultimately couldn't take away the sin of humanity, but Jesus Christ shedding his own blood, offering up himself, can do that. Why? Because he's among us to represent us, but he's above us to satisfy the wrath of God. One who can identify with us even in our sin cannot take the wrath of God for us. But Jesus Christ can and does because he's not just among us, he's also above us. The great wonder of Christmas is that you can have one that's among us, but also above us. One that's like us, but not entirely like us. One who can have human nature and yet be sinless. He's incredibly different. And he's one who's among us forever and also above us forever. Which is why he says in 28, For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. This priest is perfect, unlike the Old Testament priest. This priest offers a sacrifice unlike the Old Testament priest, and it's a sacrifice that can actually satisfy the wrath of God. The great humility sometimes of Christmas isn't just that Jesus came in a manger. The great, sometimes I think, humility of of Christmas and the message of Christmas is that God had to come. (laughs) That we were so far gone, that we were so dead in our sins, that Jesus Christ had to leave the glories of heaven, and he had to come identify with us in our human nature, and then he had to die in our place. Our rebellion against God was so offensive to him that he had to send his own son to stand in our place to take what we could not bear so that we could be reconciled back to him. My greatest hope for you this morning, if you're here for the first time, if you're visiting, as you begin to enter and begin to anticipate Christmas, is obviously it's not about Santa. It's not about Jesus Christ's one-time field trip into humanity, but it's about a beginning point for Jesus Christ in which he took on human nature to identify with us and to redeem us in a nature that he will have for the rest of eternity. For the rest of eternity, he will stand as our intercessor. He will stand as our mediator because he shares humanity's nature and he shares the nature of God. He's both divine and he's human. And therefore, he's able to do what no one else could and he can do it permanently. He can stand as our advocate. He can stand as our mediator. He can go between us and God. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you yet again that there's only one among us that can do that. There's only one among us that ever will do that, and that's Jesus Christ. And that if you're linked to him, if you're associated with him, if you are in Christ, if you've trusted in his death and resurrection, you can have hope and significance and peace in life because it's him, Jesus Christ, who came to bring peace and joy. And those are the things that he provides and brings in his hands. And so I want to challenge us, for those of us who do know Jesus Christ and who are coming to yet another Christmas, let me encourage you a couple of different challenges this morning, a couple of different quick exhortations. One is this. If Jesus is among us, and he's above us forever. 
then in many regards, you don't have a break, spiritually speaking, at Christmas time, all right? You guys are going to have a break academically because at Christmas time, you have professors that are no longer among us and no longer above us. Amen, right? And so your uh, complete slothfulness academically is not just applauded, but it's necessary and actually refreshing, right? Because those professors are not with us and they're not any way over us over Christmas. And yet when you return, you're quite aware, well aware that they will again be among you and above you, right? But over Christmas, if Jesus Christ is always among us and he's always above us, then you and I don't have a break, spiritually speaking. That to neglect walking with Jesus Christ over Christmas is not what's going to lead to refreshment. And so let me challenge you guys as you, get, as you guys head home for Christmas break, as you guys leave the routine of your fall and your spring semesters in life here, and you leave a church and you leave a community of people and you leave a Bible study, let me encourage you guys to make a plan for Christmas break. It can actually be quite an academically refreshing time, but a spiritually draining time. Some of you guys may check out academically, and with that you may also check out spiritually, and, and that's going to land you guys in a place You're going to feel distant from the Lord at the very time of his arrival. You're going to check out from professors, but don't check out from Jesus Christ. Make a plan. Read some Christian biographies. Read and find a Christian Bible study, even a Christmas-themed Bible study. We have even one on on our website. You can track down one for Christmas Advent. Find something and make a plan to be in the Word and to begin to walk with Jesus Christ this, this Christmas break. It's really easy to check out academically, as easy it is to check out spiritually. And don't do that. You'll be refreshed academically, but you're going to be drained and really feel spiritually at a time when Jesus Christ has arrived that you've checked out and you've missed his coming. And so don't check out. Don't, don't miss him over Christmas break. The second thing I'm going to tell you guys is if he is one that's among us and he's one that's above us and he's the only one that can do what we cannot do, and that's redeem and take the wrath of God upon himself so that we can be reconciled back to God the Father. Let me say this. Christmas time at times can be incredibly hard because you leave a lot of the routine, a lot of your friends that are here but it also can be hard because maybe some, for the first time, a lot of you guys leave what's become a Christian bubble for you here at Texas A&M, and you go back home where you don't have a bubble like this that feels so encouraging all the time. And let me encourage you guys, one, that's why you really need to be walking with the Lord over Christmas. Some of you guys are going to go back home to family situations. Some of you guys are going to go back home to some friend situations that are really trying and really difficult, which is why you need to be walking with the Lord. And it's not just difficulty, but let me flip it around and say that it's a great opportunity if we worship one who's among us and who's above us, who's not left us, but it's come for us, then we have a great message and a great hope and a great joy to share. You guys had that opportunity, especially at Christmas time, as you guys go home to families, you guys go home to friends, to share the faith and the hope that you have of the one who's been rocking your world and rocking your life as you guys have been growing this semester. So let me encourage you guys, as you guys head home, speak up, be bold about Jesus Christ and bold about what he's doing in your life and bold about him to your family and your friends. And I think for a lot of us, we go back to those kind of settings that are really, really difficult. So let me challenge you guys, walk with the Lord this Christmas break. Make a plan. Find some friends that are going to hold you accountable. Find some friends that you can stay in contact with. Find a Bible study. Find some ways to stay in the Word and continue to walk with Jesus Christ and speak up. Walk with Him and speak up of Him. And don't be quiet at Christmas time around those that you're with, even though you don't get to spend a lot of time with those people at times, and you may feel quite, quite uh, challenged and quite timid in which to share with them. And so what we're going to do the rest of this morning is we're actually going to continue back into worship and continue back in some reading of the Word. We just want to have you guys have a time this morning that's a little bit different than our normal Sunday mornings. We want you guys just to hear more of the Word read. 
want you guys to have even more of an opportunity just to respond in worship, especially at a point in time this semester that you guys are probably tired of the routine and just want to be refreshed and be reminded again of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done on our behalf. And so the guys are going to come back up. We're going to spend a little more time in worship and we're going to give you guys a chance to hear a little bit even more from the word this morning. And so you guys can come up. And then as they're coming up, let me remind you guys also, we're going to do a little lunch after this morning. And so we'd love for you guys to stay around and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. Father God, we do just give you thanks for your son. Thank you for sending him on our behalf. A man taken from among men, appointed on behalf of men. Father, I pray that you give us great joy, great peace this Christmas season. That as we approach it and as we are reminded afresh of your arrival on the scene, Lord, I pray that we would take great joy in that, great peace in that, and that you would come and that you would transform us, Lord. And I pray that you would give us uh, this Christmas season as we approach it, Lord, a great reminder of that that you are one among us and you are one above us, and that you've come to not just identify, but to intervene and redeem us, Lord. And I pray that you give us great joy this season, Lord. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen.